welcome listeners to Season 3, Episode 9 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we're gearing up for our second annual Halloween Vibes event by watching a classic slasher film, A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to help keep you up all night. This episode will contain discussion on misogyny, sexual assault, and self-harm. If any of these topics are things that you don't need to hear today, feel free to skip this episode. So we kind of made this one, this drink together. Yeah, we're uh, packing to move, so a lot of our stuff is away right now. So it was less, hmm, what can we make to match the mood and themes of this movie and more, what do we have in our fridge right now? And then, oh yeah, that could totally be for this. Yeah, we totally did it. We nailed it, y'all. <laughs> On the plus side, it is delicious. So tell everybody what this uh, bad boy is called. Uh, so this is called Nancy's Mom's Breakfast. Ah, an alcoholic beverage, you say. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, boy, howdy, is this strong. Yeah, it is, but it's good. It kind of tastes like Bailey's. There's only two ingredients in this, so I can't really tell you what it is. I mean, theoretically, there's two ingredients, but one of them was like pre-made already. So <laughs> there's a few ingredients in that one. True. But what's the liquor that is cleansing our palate at this very moment? We are using Mad Labs Viking Vodka. Wow. Yes. And then I immediately packed it away after taking pictures of it. <laughs> but thanks again, Mad Labs, for providing us with all of our season's sponsored alcohol we really appreciate it mm -hmm. yeah this is good and it's really cold and after a day of packing i sure could use a cold drink and it's got caffeine in it yes what another hint of what is it whoa what is is <laughs> what I'm, is is <laughs> i'm so tired <laughs> yeah this is going to be a uh if we if we slur it's not because we're drunk, but because we've been packing for so very long. And it just goes with the theme of the film of having to stay up and being oh, super tired. I it's see a what bit. You did there. It's totally a bit. It's not real that I'm tired. No, it is real. This week, we watched A Nightmare on Elm Street, which premiered on November 11th, 1984. It's written and directed by Wes Craven, and it stars Heather Langenkamp as final girl Nancy Thompson, Amanda Weiss as first victim Tina Gray, Johnny Depp as Nancy's useless boyfriend Glenn Lance. <laughs> it's also his film debut, by the way. Ooh. And Robert Englund as maniacal killer Freddy Krueger. This synopsis was submitted to us by a listener. Holy cow. Wow. If you want your synopsis to be used in the show, email it to drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. This was submitted by Colleen, who also happens to be Kelly's mom. Whoa. Hi, Colleen. She says, I was 16 when this film came out and it scared the crap out of me. The scene where his arms get really long, the tongue coming out of the phone and the creepy things he would say. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Hello. And all while you are sleeping and so very helpless. She writes, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Tara lives in your dreams and his name is Freddy Krueger, a.k.a. the Springwood Slasher. In the late 1960s, a psychopath went on a murderous rampage targeting young children. His weapon of choice, a glove. Not just any glove, a glove with very long and very sharp straight razor blades attached to each finger, which he would use to slash and murder his victims with. 
When a judge accidentally sets him free, an angry mob comprised of the parents whose children Freddie had murdered take the law into their own hands, hunt him down, and burn him alive in the boiler room where he worked. Believing justice had been served, everyone goes on with their lives. That is, until Freddie comes back looking for revenge. Hunting the remaining children of the parents responsible for his death, Freddie starts appearing in their dreams, which turn into nightmares, and it becomes very clear that if he kills you in your dreams, you die in real life. The story mainly focuses on four teenagers who all conveniently live on the same street. Elm Street. Nancy Thompson, the daughter of the police officer who originally arrested Kruger, starts having nightmares of a badly burned man dressed in a striped sweater and a bladed leather glove who is trying to kill her. After talking with her friends, they realize that they are all experiencing the same dream. And when they all start dying in their sleep, Nancy must figure out who this monster is, why he is targeting them, and how she can stop him before she becomes his next victim. Trying unsuccessfully at times to stay awake, Nancy not only fights for answers, but also fights for her life every time she closes her eyes and nods off. Knowing she must face this demon or die, Nancy booby traps her house and drifts off to sleep with the plan of capturing and bringing Freddy back into the real world, hoping that when she does, her father will be there to arrest him. She successfully brings him back. The booby traps help slow him down. Burning him doesn't do the trick and dad's not there to put the cuffs on him. It's only when Nancy turns her back on Freddy and as he makes one final lunch for her, she dissolves all fear she has for him that he just disappears. Or does he? Dun, 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 dun. That was excellent. I don't even have to do a little synopsis. Yeah. It's like my mom listens to the podcast or something and yeah. knows what we look for. <laughs> In a synopsis. Thanks, Colleen. Thanks, Mom. Hit me with that trailer audio. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Craven, director of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left, a new masterpiece in fantasy terror, Nightmare on Elm Street. Definitely showed too much. A lot, yeah. You see like everyone that's going to die, as well as like most of the jump scares in the movie. Yeah. And there was a different voice when he's like, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. It was like very not Robert Englund. Hmm. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe that wasn't actually a line in the movie and they... Had to record it for the trailer? No, he says that in the film. Oh, maybe... Right before the tongue comes out of the phone. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the trailer guy was like, I don't like the delivery of this. <laughs> maybe there was music in it. I don't know. Yeah, but, but um, it's interesting because I find that this film has such a different tone than The Hills Have Eyes. And I haven't seen the original Last House on the Left, but I know what it is and I don't want to watch it. <laughs> Yeah. So it's interesting that it's such a tonal shift from those films. Uh Uh-huh. But the same creator. He wanted to do fantasy horror. Ooh, Sorry, I'm just really enjoying this drink. Yeah, I'm almost done it. So hopefully it kicks in soon. I'm sad that it's so small. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens. That's what we get when we use leftovers in the fridge. Exactly. I I mean, I could there's some Chinese food still in there. I could pour some vodka on that if you want. Oh, God. Uh, do you want to go into your points? I would love to. 
I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that I did. I don't I didn't go to film school, but I took Monsters and Media course. So it was like film analysis in regards to horror specifically. And I never got to see this film in that class, but they used a bunch of clips from it to talk about the male gaze. I'm going to uh, share with you all right now. Go off, queen. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> Hat doom. Uh, this is a term that's coined by the noted feminist film critic Laura Mulvey. And just a quick Wikipedia definition of the male gaze. In feminist theory, the male gaze is the act of depicting women and the world in the visual arts and in literature from a masculine, heterosexual perspective that presents and represents women as sexual objects for the pleasure of the male viewer. In the visual and aesthetic presentations of narrative cinema, the male gaze has three perspectives. That of the man behind the camera, that of the male characters within the film's cinematic representations, and that of the spectator gazing at the image itself. So A Nightmare on Elm Street is filled with the male gaze. The biggest example that I can think of is when Nancy's... They actually showed it in the trailer, too, of when Nancy's in the bath and her legs are, like, wide open with her knees on either side and then Freddie's hand, like, emerges from the water, like, basically at her crotch. Love that. Yeah, we also <laughs> see that in Freddy vs. Jason, don't we? That comes back, doesn't it? I, it's been a or long time a since I saw that. there's a very close shot. I think they, they use that shot a lot of Freddie's hand coming up between women's legs. Yeah, and it's just not, not really necessary. No. And he also, like, is always watching the women that he's about to murder them. It's He never watches the male victims. He kills them. But he doesn't torment them like he torments all his female victims. And of course, like us watching the film is through the lens of Wes Craven. He's the one that got all these women to like run around in white button downs with bare feet and be stupid. The like first shot of the movie is other than like showing Freddie making his tools is basically like a silhouette of a naked woman in like a lacy gown. Made sure to have lots of backlight so that you can see her body. You can see her pubis mond. Oh my God. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of that. The only time that a woman isn't like, or like Nancy's not too bad other than wearing the, or being in the, the tub and when it just shows a back shot of her changing. But like all of her actual clothes are normal clothes that a person would wear. Yeah. Nancy is a really, really great final girl. And she has a lot of agency in this film, which I love. And men fail her every fucking step of the way. But she is strong. And her mom, although she's an alcoholic, is also strong. And I appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah, like that's not even I didn't have this written as one of my points, but it's stop me if you have this, Kelly. But it's annoying how much she is failed by the people who matter to her. Oh, yeah. In her life that are men like her father can't even be bothered to pay fucking attention to her. Her boyfriend, she just asks him to stay awake. She's like visibly traumatized from having nightmares. And he's like, oh, man, I got to stay up till midnight. Can't do that. No, he. I, yeah. Glenn was probably the worst sidekick that Nancy could ever hope for. <laughs> um, like, at least the parents are trying to hunt down this random killer that they think killed Tina in the beginning. But like Glenn d- can't do anything. Yep. He doesn't accomplish anything at all. And it's entirely up to Nancy to do everything. So, yeah. Yeah. He but, gets a cool uh, sucked into the bed death. Yeah, he gets the coolest death. But like. He nothing like (laughs) like she said, oh, you can come over and beat him with a baseball bat or something. He doesn't do that. 
Uh, he falls asleep nope. instead. Yep. Um, the, she, when she goes to like check out if Freddy is killing Rod, she's like, hey, can you just like wake me up if I'm having a nightmare? And he immediately falls asleep. Yeah, just a just a useless character all all the way down. Why do we have boyfriends? I don't know. Yeah, completely useless. <laughs> Especially boyfriends named Glenn, apparently. Mm-hmm. Sorry to any listener named Glenn. Yeah, you fucked up. <laughs> uh, and on the flip side of things, I wanted to talk about something that I really loved. I mean, I really love Nancy, too. But I think that this film is really great. When it comes to the scares, it's from the 80s. So it has like that charm of like being a classic slasher film. So you could kind of laugh at it a bit. Mm. But when it comes to all the other slashers of this time, I feel like this is the most successful. There's like for me specifically thinking about Nancy when Nancy is at school and she sees Tina in the body bag for the first time. Oh, yeah. And the bag is like closed and you just like see like a half bloody face in there. It's so unsettling <laughs> to me and it's so creepy. Like it even thinking of that image now, it gives me long lasting heebie jeebies, which I don't think happens for me when I think of like Friday the 13th, anything. <laughs> that's fair. I think everything in the movie that's not Freddy, I would agree with. Like, yeah, the body bag is an extremely good image to go for a lot of the like disgusting like worms and like eels crawling around and yeah. stuff like that were very good really muddy too like dirty yeah but like the moment that freddy's on screen he's just like too dorky for me to be scary at all what about when she rips off his face that's he just kind of looks like the guy at the end of uh, temple of doom yeah temple of doom is scary i guess <laughs> but it was like it was less I don't know. It's less perpetual dread and more like, oh, and he always like looks at the horror that he's doing is like, ha you see this? <laughs> oh, specifically a really big moment of that is when he like calls out to Tina to watch this and he cuts off his fingers and he like keeps looking back and forth and he's like, did you see it? <laughs> I like that. I thought that was cool. He really? like wants to see her. He's getting the joy of the horror himself that he's created, but also the literal horror that he's causing in her, the fear that she has. No, he just kind of seems like a kid who's about to do a cannonball. And he's like, mom, <laughs> look at me, mom, look at, I'm going to do a cannonball. Look at, look at, and then he does it. Did you see, did you see the cannonball? Did I mean, you? yes, but also <laughs> scary. Did you see the thing? Fi- I cut off my finger. It's cool, right? <laughs> what about when he cuts open his chest and we get like the maggots and yeah. the green ooze? That I, was it, gross. And it looks cool but like he's he's a little bit like two goosebumps for me i think because it was like he cuts himself open and it's like green ooze and disgusting bugs and stuff yeah it was just too cartoony like he was entirely too cartoony for me that's fair i th- i disagree for for me it was still i mean he, ah that's not true i was gonna say for me he was still scary but i guess you're right what i'm saying the scariest parts of the film aren't freddie himself but the terror that he has caused by doing other things. Yeah. Like Tina getting flung around the room midair, getting sliced up and stuff. That was scary. That was cool. Uh, <laughs> seeing him kind of like run up in corridors and be like, ha, gotcha. I'm going to split you in half. It was a little bit too cartoony for me. Yeah. Well, split you in half. I'm pretty sure has undertones of being a rape. Thing. Yeah, of course. But it's like, he's, he's t- just dumb. Like that's not, you're not smart, dude. <laughs> You're not being like creep. You're just like an edgelord. You're like a weird dorky edgelord who thinks that it's cool to be filled with maggots and 
make sexual assault threats to women. Yeah. Not cool, bro. No, you're not cool. You're basic. He's basically read it. Oof. Anyways, this segues really well into my point. Well, that's good because I only had two because I have so many scaredy facts. I couldn't even <laughs> fit them all in. I'm excited. All right. So we want to introduce a new section where we uh, celebrate the reviews that we get in our podcast. And give some shout outs to the listeners that write them. And very on brand, we've made it extremely dorky. So, so get ready. It's time for the Whispers from Whispers Beyond. <laughs> that was good, I think. That was pretty good. <laughs> so this one is from Star123, and it says, Love, love, love. This show is so good. Shar and Kelly have such good vibes, and the horror trivia is perfect. <laughs> love it. Aw. Yeah. Thanks, Star123. You're the best. If you want us to talk about you and how cool you are, sweet listener, you could write us a review on Apple Podcasts. My first one, again, is uh, Freddy's Extremely Dorky. And specific parts that kind of threw me out is like the first time that Tina sees him out in the wild uh, when he's doing like the extendo arms. Like Inspector Gadget? Yeah. And I was like... (laughs) Which is funny because your mom specifically said that that part is something in her mind that still scares her Yeah, my mom's a wuss. (laughs) (laughs) Like his... his, Fear is, hey, look at how big my arms can get. And I can scratch a wall that's far away from me because my arms are so long. I mean, I guess it's that like there's nowhere for her to escape because the whole road is blocked. I guess. But then make the road shrink. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, least- I, I see what you mean. Like the actual arms themselves didn't look very threatening. Yeah. Like the theory. I don't even know if the theory behind this scary was good. I think the idea that, yeah, you have nowhere to go is interesting, but visually you could have done like the it closing in because then you had the like claustrophobic element. Yeah. I don't know anybody that's like, oh, yeah, I had a fucked up nightmare. I was about to walk in an alley and a guy's arms grew real long <laughs> uh, horizontally. Vertically might be scary if he's like hunched over and his arms get long. Uh, and then the way he runs towards Tina in that scene. <laughs> you, you called that out as it was happening while you we were rewatching it. <laughs> it's it, again. It's like a kid who's just real excited to go get some ice cream. He, he It's this. It's a hot summer day. And the, he hears that creepy haunting music from the ice cream truck. And he's like, ah, I'm running out. Oh, my God, I'm going to get my ice cream. Uh, I'm very disappointed that when Dead, Di- Dead by Daylight added him as a character they did not have that as his run yeah i'm sorry that would have been very good and then have extendo arms or something (laughs) he is not the run is something that's not very threatening i guess you're right but it does give this like sort of like unhinged maniacal feel unhinged and unqualified to be a killer what's your next point (laughs) my second point is we kind of touched on it a little bit But the relationship with these kids are very weird. Tina's kind of going through that rebellious teen phase where she wants to stick it to her mom by dating the douche of the school. (laughs) Kind of like the the angry kid who threatens to murder everyone and whatnot. But like, I don't know. They still had fun having sex, which I guess is all teens can really hope for. (laughs) Uh, That was some loud sex. That was some very loud sex. He was good at sex suspiciously for a teenager. So... Or she was faking it. Yeah, that's true. She It might be one of those situations where she just hasn't discovered what an orgasm is yet. So. Yeah. So she's just like, yeah, this is what you do. Yeah, fuck God. <laughs> Having sex in my mom's bed that she's had sex with a lot of men in this. So it should be really gross. But that's OK, because women are allowed to do whatever they want. Yay. 
I mean, her mom was an awful mom. They not connected to her sexual exploits whatsoever. Yeah, She's like, I'm going to go run off to Vegas. She's a deadbeat mom. Yeah. Anyways, their relationship, very weird. The only time that he seemed to actually care about her was when she was dying. Yeah. And then Nancy and Glenn. That just goes with the male gaze, man. That's true. They don't care until the their play thing is gone. Their object is being destroyed. Ugh. Anyways, then there's Nancy and Glenn who also didn't really make any sense. For the longest time watching this movie, I wasn't sure if they were actually dating because they show no affection toward each other whatsoever. They almost do when Tina and Rod are going upstairs to bang and Tina comes back and she's like, don't leave, please, which was also weird. But uh, then Johnny Depp's like, ooh, I want to kiss you. And Nancy's like, not right now. We're but not did, here for that. But it did make it seem like they've, they are definitely together. I guess. I don't know. It was weird. Even when they're talking to each other, I can, okay, I can put aside that maybe because Nancy's really stressed that, hey, there's a murderer trying to kill her every time she goes to sleep. So maybe being in a bed might not be her most excited thing, but like there's no affection from either of them. Glenn does that classic thing where he comes over and sneaks in in the middle of the night. That yeah. Shows teenage love, apparently. But the way they talk to each other doesn't seem like they like each other or are affectionate. And the only time that Nancy ever actually seems like she misses Glenn is when she's literally locked away from going to see him. That when she's like trying to call him and then the dad's like, you just got to be firm with these kids. And he unplugs the phone. Yeah, Oof. that's fucked up. But like he she's like, I miss you. And he's like, I miss you, too. And it's like, do you? <laughs> Okay. Because I'm not seeing it. I don't, I don't, okay. I guess the moment that you can't be together, it's some sort of Romeo and Juliet situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, they need their playthings and they need them only when they can't have them. And then Glenn dies and she's sad. Yeah. Anyways, that was their, the portrayal of teenage romance in this movie was very extremely weird. Yeah. It was like lots of fucking just for fucking and then no romance. I think I think Mr. Craven didn't have a teenage romance to reflect on for oh this movie. Boy. <laughs> We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. It's time to talk about our new Patreon initiative. When we reach $150 a month of Patreon support, we'll be doing monthly horror watch-alongs with you. This is something that we've wanted to put into motion for a while, and we are very excited about it. So if you enjoy the show and you have a bit of funds to share, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash drink and scream. You'll get access to our exclusive bonus episodes called Pre-Fear, where we chat about the movies we haven't seen yet right before we watch them. You'll get voting privileges, cocktail recipe cards, swag packs, and so much more at patreon.com slash drink and scream. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by Evil Amy's Terror Shop, who provides us with some amazing goodies to talk about on our episodes. Our next shipment from them has arrived, but it's waiting at our new home, so we'll probably only get to open it on Tuesday. So depending when you've listening to this, we've either opened it or we haven't yet still. But I can't wait. They have so many cool horror and Halloween paraphernalia. So I'm very, very excited to see what we got. You can buy their products. Products. That's what I said. <laughs> they ship globally at EvilAmyStairShop.com. We're also sponsored by Liz's Horrifying Candle Co. We're waiting on some brand new scents for fall, and our candles are so good that the 2020 summer scents are currently sold out. 
When the fall scents are ready, we'll let you know. These candles will be available for purchase at horrorcandles.com with the code DRINKSCREAM10 for 10% off your first order of three or more. These bad boys are handmade with soy wax, which makes them safe for your own little fur babies. Woo! Yeah. We want to keep our buddies safe so we don't use petroleum candles because that's like smoking cigarettes right into his face. Speaking of buddy, he did not try to drink this drink, but I think it's just because it's so late he's a little pooped out. Yeah, there's a lot of furniture around too, so I think he's been like exploring (laughs) around the boxes and whatnot. What is happening? Stress. But this drink totally would have been buddy approved this episode. Last but not least, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream. On Facebook at drink and scream. You can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. And you can join our Discord at bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. One, two, back to the episode. (laughs) Three, four, (laughs) gonna watch some more. I'm leaving this in. So tired. (laughs) Gonna sleep. Probably gonna die. My final point is that the idea of the parents banding together to murder this guy that the the system let go is metal as fuck. I appreciate it because it's like they know he did it. They had all of the evidence. It's just because they didn't sign the paper for the the warrant to go into his murder home. Yeah, which is such a technicality. And it's so sad that the whole case was riding on that one shred of or whatever they found in there. Yeah, and the they system's broken. Up. Topical. <laughs> so topical. I mean, the system's working. It's it's intended to be shit like this. So it's all working according to plan. But it's like the one time that a bunch of parents banding together to for a common cause was good. Usually it's to like kick someone out of their neighborhood or something like that. But in a deleted scene, which I have not seen, but I read about Nancy's mom mentions that like when they let him on fire, he escaped the building. He's like chasing after them and he's like, I'm going to get you. And she's the one that shoots him in the head to kill him. Ooh. I mean, that would explain why Freddie seems so specifically intent on On getting the mom. And yeah. And uh, I forget her name, Marge. Sure. That sounds like a mom name. (laughs) But like when he finally is on fire and goes and kills the mom, it makes more sense that he would target her specifically if she was the one that did it. And in that moment. Yeah. Because he's on fire again for like the second or the first time. I guess the mom kind of hints at it when she's like in the basement with her daughter and she's like, don't worry, mommy killed the monster or whatever. Yeah. So that's implying that she was the one that did the deed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nice when parents will kill people for you. <laughs> yeah. I, that, I have no experience with anyone willing to do that. Neither do I, but I, the concept is good. The concept is very interesting. It's like when you know that your friend will help you bury a body. Yeah, that we've never done before. Yeah. Now this seems incriminating. I was just saying <laughs> a normal passing by comment. It's time to open the Reconomica. <laughs> Pages flipping, lightning sounds, bat wings flapping. So I, I couldn't think of one. <laughs> oh, no. I thought of one while you were talking, and I was going to say The Matrix, because it, what you said, if you die in, in the dream, you die in real life. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to recommend that one. Okay. I mean, go watch The Matrix, but that's not... I'm u- not using up my space to do that. It's a great trans allegory. Yes. But also, <laughs> while I was trying to think of movies, for some reason, The Lobster from 2015 popped in my head, 
which has nothing to do with this movie, but it's just a great uh, dystopian uh, black comedy. Oh, I am going to go with my male gaze film analysis. I'm recommending Maniac from 1980, which is a serial killer that goes on a murder spree in New York. Again, all killing women. Great. But uh, there actually was a remake of this film in 2012 featuring Elijah Wood, which I thought was very good. But uh, the original is also great. Check it out specifically for the analysis on it, because it's definitely misogynistic. Mm, Fun. Good job finding one that fit the theme. Thank you. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) I'm I'm detecting some sass. Some sass from Kelly, who's angry about us moving, I think. Listen, producer. (laughs) I'll do whatever you want me to do. (laughs) All right. Then, yeah, pick a fucking movie that goes with the movie we watch. That I recommend watch The Matrix, because if you die in The Matrix, you die in real life. There we go. (laughs) It's time for... Scaredy Facts. Welcome, listener, to the Scaredy Facts section, where we introduce you into our relationship, where we watch a horror movie and then argue about a movie that you could watch that you like that's similar to it. (laughs) And then to calm down, we go to IMDb and look up some trivia facts for hard, cold facts that we can agree on. We're going to snuggle under a blanket and be cutesy. Starting with the budget, this was an estimated $1.8 million budget, which I was a bit surprised for because a lot of the other slashers of this time were really low budget. But of course, this was made by Wes Craven, who already had a name for himself. Huge, huge name. Opening weekend, it made $1.3 million, and the USA gross is $25.5 million. Wow. I specifically say USA because they wrote USA and then they also wrote worldwide but worldwide was the same as USA so I'm skeptical so I'm just gonna put USA definitely one of those situations where this the world revolves around America definitely I have so much trivia all right I'm I'm strapped in and ready to go all right in this movie Nancy is shown watching Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead Wes Craven decided to include the scene because Raimi had featured a poster of Craven's Hills Have Eyes in The Evil Dead. Raimi also showed Freddy Krueger's glove in the tool shed scene of Evil Dead 2. Spoilers, I haven't seen that yet. (laughs) And also later in Ash versus Evil Dead. So I thought it was interesting that there's like this back and forth that they're like, yeah, I'll I'll support you. You support me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you make good friends yeah in, uh, in movies i would definitely throw as many references as i can into any projects that i had creative control over Ooh, so i can make a bunch of references to things other projects we do in this one sure go watch vancouver by night all right go ahead <laughs> this film was shot in 32 days it over it used over 500 gallons of fake blood and it would take about three hours to get Robert Englund into his Freddy makeup. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of time. Yeah. Speaking of the scene that you were saying was not very frightening at all, where he's like walking, Freddy's walking down the alley with his arms outstretched. The way they did that was they had men with fishing poles on each side of the alley operating a set of puppet arms that were actually attached to Robert Englund's real arms in the sweater. Oh, so it's like a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> Even scarier. He, uh, Robert Englund himself, cut himself the first time that he was trying on Freddy's glove. The original glove was later used in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, and was also seen hanging on the wall of the workshed in Evil Dead 2. This was in response to the use... Oh, I already said... That's funny. This, <laughs> I, I was like, did I include this or not? And I put it at the top, but I already included it here. 
but yeah, so there's like the back and forth with the Evil Dead, uh, Sam Raimi, Raimi. I'm not sure how to say his last name and Wes Craven, but Wes Craven loaned the glove to A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors from 1987. And apparently it got lost on that set. And there's a rumor floating around that it's now in possession of Robert Englund's agent. Mm. But that agent has not fessed up to it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to keep it. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that the A, I'm surprised that the props department didn't make multiple versions of it. Well, this is the original, the one, the one. But I mean, like even in this movie, I'm surprised that there weren't multiple versions of it. True. Um, also, I'm surprised that it was sharp. Yeah. Like that's weird to make a prop that your actor is going to be wearing on their fucking hands. Yeah. I think I didn't include it in the trivia, but when Robert Englund was talking about in an interview, how he made the characterization of his physicality, part of that came from trying the costume on for the first time. And he wore the real glove, but it was so heavy because there was real metal and stuff on it <laughs> that it like dragged his arm down if he was relaxing. So it gave him that like hunched over on one side shoulder. Oh, and he kept that when he was using the glove that they used. That was not the real knives. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Go on. This was there's like one moment where he says, I'm going to split you in half or whatever. So in the original script, Freddie was an outright child molester, but the decision was made to change him into being just a child murderer to avoid accusations of exploiting a series of real child molestations in California around the time of production. Wow. So, but then in 2010, when they remade the film, they, with uh, Jackie Earl Haley as Freddie, they took back that original plot line and had him be a... Child molester. Yeah, I haven't heard good things about that movie. I have not seen it, which is funny because when this was when we were watching the film, I was like, this would be so good with a remake. The <laughs> writing is good, but I would love to see it done in a modern with modern technology and stuff. Yeah. But oh. apparently they did it in 2010 and it wasn't that great. Nah, well, I mean, yeah, I haven't heard good things. Also, I didn't realize Jackie Earl Haley was uh, Rorschach in the Watchmen movie. Yeah. You love him. I love that one. You maybe, do. Maybe I'll like it. Maybe I'll like the remake out of obligation. <laughs> All of the boiler room footage in the film was shot in the basement of the Lincoln Heights jail in Los Angeles, which ironically was condemned shortly after production wrapped because of such a high level of asbestos. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was back when people didn't know what asbestos did. I mean, it was condemned, so they knew. Yeah, you know, people's bodies change. <sighs> Yet you get used to asbestos. It's fine. <laughs> the first time that we see Freddy in the movie in that basement, it actually isn't played. He isn't played by Robert Englund. I was going to say Freddy Krueger, but by special effects man Charles Bellardinelli, because he was the only one who knew exactly how to cut the glove and insert the blades to create the real glove Ooh. so does that mean that he, anytime that something's being cut by the gloves it's him no in the starting in the starting shots they're actually cutting leather gloves with an oh, exacto knife i got you that part yeah. okay yeah 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 when he's forging his weapon yes do you remember which movie it was that i referenced that had not in this episode it was a while ago that I mentioned that they used the same spinning room as a nightmare on elm street yeah it was the stuff it was the stuff. I remember that every time I see this scene. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, the scene of Tina, Amanda Weiss, thrashing across the ceiling was shot using a rotating room set, also in the stuff, which was slowly spun to allow her to roll into position. The camera was bolted to the wall and the cameraman strapped into a chair beside it, which turned in tandem with the room. For the two shots where Rod and Tina reach for one another as Tina is on the ceiling, really she's lying on the floor and Garcia is upside down with his hair pasted down to his head. (laughs) And the effect was so good that just before shooting began, Amanda Weiss got such a bad case of vertigo. She had to wait a bit before being able to actually film it. I don't know if they used the exact same room, but they used a very similar setup for Inception when the room when the hallway is spinning and then like the room is spinning as well oh okay it's been a while since i've seen inception i'd watch it again yeah or maybe we never stopped watching it whoa Whoa. does the spinning top stop or not the fictional address of the house in the film is 1428 elm street the actual house where filming took place is located in Los Angeles, California on 1428 North Genesee Avenue. The numbers of that house, 1428 on the side, were stolen and never returned, according to the house's present owner, Angie Hill, who was in a documentary, Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. She was like really mad about it. <laughs> um, and I feel that. That sucks. But yeah. also your house is cool. Why well, People got to be assholes and yeah. steal stuff that's cool. I would like selfie with it. Yeah. And that's that's all you need. Don't steal people's stuff. Personal property. Just because it's cool. Yeah. Ask for consent uh, with all things. Steal stuff when uh, they're hoarding it and you need it. <laughs> Wes Craven wrote the script for A Nightmare on Elm Street and presented it in 1981 to try to sell it to a major studio. But nobody wanted it. He said that it just flew around. It was for three years until New Line Cinema ended up picking it up. And actually, New Line Cinema was saved from bankruptcy by the success of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's jokingly nicknamed the house that Freddie built. Nice. Okay. I only have two more. Okay. One of them, I'm sure everyone's going to be very excited for. But before that, the scene where Freddy is set on fire, chases Nancy to the top of the stairs, falls back down and starts back up again, was all shot in one take with several cameras and was the most elaborate fire scene ever filmed up to that time. The stuntman, Anthony Ciceri, Ciceri, Anthony, sorry for butchering your name, (laughs) won best stunt of the year for that scene. Wow. I was looking at that scene and I was like, wow, they must have done this in like a few takes, but he did that all in one shot. All in one shot with wow. multiple cameras, but it was all just the single time. Yeah, still. That was a lot. Yeah. He moves for so long. Yeah. He was on fire for like a minute. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. Are you ready? One, two, Carfax coming for you. <laughs> the car that Nancy, Glenn, Tina, and Rod drive away in at the end is a 1958 Cadillac Series 62 convertible with a red and green pattern hardtop. Was that standard or did they have to make that for the movie? <laughs> I don't know. It just says with a red and green pattern hardtop. Do you have a final thought for me? I do. And I, I don't really know why, but I don't particularly like this movie and I'm really not too sure why Hmm. it's like the concepts are cool and a lot of the like the like shots are interesting also we didn't mention that our favorite ghost hunter is in this movie is the teacher yes we mentioned that later but uh yeah Elise from Insidious yes you got the movie right 
Good job. I did it. You're the best. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of boring to me and not well acted, really. And I don't find Freddy interesting at all. And I don't, I can't explain. It just seems, I think it's a personal preference and I just can't explain it. Wow. Yeah. And I know it's a classic and I probably should like it. I just kind of like look at this movie and it's just kind of okay. I mean, that doesn't just because something is a classic or is widely renowned does not mean that you were forced to like it. Yeah. We also watched The Hills Have Eyes and I didn't like that either. I didn't like The Hills Have Eyes either. Maybe I don't like Wes Craven. I'm definitely not going to. I want to. I don't know. I'm wrestling with the idea of watching Last House on the Left because. I mean, you don't have to. I know. There, there's no obligation for you to do that. But I also want to be able to know what I'm critiquing rather than just blindly critiquing. That's true. Oh, he did Red Eye and Scream. Okay. I love Red Eye. Yeah, I love Red Eye, too. Man, that's a show we should do on this. Sh- uh, that's a movie we should do on this show. Maybe he just had to ramp up for me. <laughs> <laughs> My final thought is basically a 180 of Kelly's and that's okay. But this for me, it's definitely my favorite first of a classic slasher series. And what I mean by that is like, it's for me, it's better than Friday the 13th first movie. It's better than first Chucky. Better than the first Chucky? Yeah. Oh, weird. Maybe not better than the first Halloween, but even then... Like, it's scarier for me than the first Halloween. Mm, that's fair. And I think that I feel like this because it's it was scary. Like, I really liked the dread that they gave us, the horror that the characters were feeling. I was feeling it's fun. Not in a, and like, I mean that in a way of like, it's fun to watch like for Halloween. Not Freddy Krueger is fun because I know that his character does take a odd turn as the series progresses but the effects are really cool and i i thought that the story was good i liked the characters i really liked nancy i think that she's very strong-willed and confident she fights her own battles well she has to because nobody helps her (laughs) um besides that one scene where she's like how could you not think i take her death seriously (laughs) but everything else was good but as for my favorite actual classic series, I think the jury's still out. I yeah. don't know. I feel like it depends what I just watched. I'm like, yeah, this is the best. And then <laughs> I watch the next different series. And I'm like, yeah, this one. Oh, I love Halloween. So we'll see. That's fair. Uh, at some point, you'll be like, no, I've, I've decided this is my favorite series. Eventually. Yeah. At the end of this podcast, that's when I know that drinking and screaming is over. When you declare a favorite. Yeah. When you declare a major, it's over. <laughs> Well, that's been A Nightmare on Elm Street, a movie that turns out it's just all a dream. My favorite trope. (laughs) Next week, we'll be officially starting our Halloween Vibes event the second year in a row by watching Trick or Treat from 2007. And remember, always scream responsibly. Yeah! Bye! Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and local designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 